listening to Reading Glasses, a show about book culture and literary life designed to help you read better. I'm author and book devourer Mallory O'Mara. And I'm Bria Grant, filmmaker and e-reader. This episode, we're talking about how your bookshelf reflects your identity. Who are you? Ooh. Who? Who is the fairest reader of them all? <laughs> We're interviewing author and a screenwriter, just want to say, Rachel Cullercroft, and um, recommending reimagined classics. But first, what are you reading, Bria? You know, I just finished the loveliest little book. Actually, it's not that little. It's, it's, it was fairly thick. Fairly thick. It's a thick boy. Um, <laughs> uh, it was, uh, it's called, it came out a couple years ago. It's been on my backlist, but it checks off one of the Reading Glasses challenges is called The Reading List by Sarah Nisha Adams. Did you read this? No. 2020. I haven't even um, heard of it. Oh, sorry. 2021. I thought it was 2020. Um, it is really cute. It is about this woman named Alicia. She works at a library in London. It all takes place in London. And she's sort of like, I don't like this library. And she kind of has this tough home life where she and her brother are in charge of her mother who is sick and has a lot of mental health issues. And then there is this widower named Mukesh who is an older man, obviously, and he um, lost his wife. And he ends up at the library, and they at first have this, like, awkward exchange, but then Alicia finds this list, and it's a book list um, of, like, a bunch of classics. And it says something at the top, like, if you need it or, or books you might need or something. I can't remember. But it has stuff, like, on it, like, To Kill a Mockingbird, Pride and Prejudice, Life of Pi, like, all these kind of, like, classic, now considered classic books. And so she recommends one to him, and they start to forge this great little friendship. Oh. And so it becomes about this friendship to the between these two sort of unlikely people, you know, very different generations, different backgrounds, and uh, how they help each other. And you watch them sort of get to come out of their shells and um, have this great friendship. And if you've read these books, which most of them are classics that most people have read, it's like, oh, I, I get to like... Think about, you know, To Kill a Mockingbird. And they they talk about the books a lot. And they talk about, like, what they got out of the books to each other. So it's like this weird mini book club between these two people. It's very heartwarming. Um, and I thought, I, it's one I've been, had on my TBR for a long time. So when we put this on the challenge, I like, I act, I like that I act like it was like a surprise. And when we surprisingly put something about reading a book, <laughs> I made this choice. But then I, I helped make this choice. But um, I just thought it would be nice to read. And I enjoyed it a lot. It was a really wow. sweet, heartwarming little book. Um, I keep calling it little. It's not little. Uh, what are you reading, Melly? So, there I was the other day. <laughs> Paint the picture. <laughs> looking at, look at, every day I like to look at Book Riot, look at all the hot, hot, fresh book news of the week, book news of the day, and I saw this article that was recommending. Is that your homepage? No. Oh, what's your homepage? My inbox. Your you know, inbox is your homepage? You know that I'm surgically attached to my 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 email inbox. Yeah. It's really it's, bad. I, I know, it's, it's really horrible that you are paired with me, a person who only replies to emails twice a week now. Honestly. I was only once a week, but now I've upped it. I think it's good, though, because we balance each other out. Yeah, there you go. Um, but I was, so I was, I saw this article that was like, like top survival romance books. And I was okay. like, it was like a little record scratch. And I was like, excuse me? And I read this article. I had never even heard of this. Like, it's post-apocalyptic or survival romance like you're in like uh like uh, you end up on a in a desert with each other yeah. like you're both starving to death but or you're on like a you know a boat abandoned at sea yeah so i was so like blown away that i had never thought that this could be a genre that i went through the list and i found the one that looked most appealing <clears throat> and the one that i picked was radio silence by Alyssa cole and it is about this woman and her uh her roommate and her roommate's not the um, 
not the object of affection. He, her roommate is gay, and the the apocalypse happens. But the thing is, they don't know anything about what's going on. Mm-hmm. All they know is that one day in their Rochester, New York neighborhood, the lights went off, the electricity went off, like phone, internet, nothing works anymore. And like for like a week or so, there them and their neighbors like shared food, and we're like, oh, when is this gonna end? And then things didn't end and then Uh. things started getting nuts so her and her roommate start her roommate's like well my parents house is in the woods it's like you know 100 miles away we can probably walk it so um they run into trouble along the way so please look up the content warnings uh i am not finished with this but because it is post-apocalyptic or it is apocalyptic so please look up the content warnings but uh they get saved by her roommate's hot brother and they get to this house and his parents aren't there and they can't find their parents and they're like you know living by candlelight and they're like in this like apocalyptic they have running water though no. Oh, no they're in this like apocalyptic situation they still have they have water but okay. it's not running water okay that's fine um and then, so in the main character, she's just like ugh, trying to deal with all of this and like freaking out because her parents are in California and um, she's black and her roommate is Asian and all of the, so there's no like hair care products for mm. her at this house. <laughs> she's like, oh, this guy's hot and my hair looks like shit. Oh, <laughs> I'm trying no. to fix it. But she's like trying to deal with the apocalypse, but, uh, and also like it's a, kind of like a banter, almost enemies to lovers sort of thing because he, they do, they do not like each other from go. Sure. But, they think each other is hot and i was like i'm reading this it's so much fun yeah. and i was like i never even thought this could be a thing but it is an absolute blast i'm not done with it but i am assuming that there'll be more apocalypse and more horniness and oh, sure. yeah absolute blast it's um radio silence by Alyssa cole and mine is the reading list by sarah nisha adams So we want to take a moment to share some listener feedback. Zoe wrote in to say, Hi, Brian and Mallory. Love the podcast. I just wanted to add to the conversation from episode 284 about reading books and watching the adaptation. I have aphantasia, so I can't picture anything in my mind. Nothing at all. It's just a black void. Huh. While I am a traditionalist and that I will try to read the book before watching the adaptation, if I am having trouble distinguishing between characters or settings, watching the adaptation can be really helpful. Yeah. I had to do this while reading The Green Mile for the first time about 10 years ago. Having watched the adaptation and therefore had having seen people act scenes out and personify the text or having seen someone's view of what a setting looks like can really help me with my reading. While I still can't see in my mind what I have watched, I can think about what I have watched and process what I am reading just that little bit easier. I wondered if any other glassers have aphantasia and what tips or tricks they use to get over it. I have only heard about this recently. I saw Hmm. an article about it and I do not have this. So I I bet it's quite rare because it's not picture anything in your mind i have no idea um first of all congrats on reading the green mile because that's a big book (laughs) (laughs) but also other glassers if you have this and have some hot book tips for zoe i would be this is really really i like that zoe's figured out this way to get a to get around it and that totally makes sense if you you know and even as a person without this i will say if characters are confusing and i watch the movie it will be help more helpful because you can think about the characters. I mean, it's helpful just to think about the characters that you have already learned. And, then you know, you're actually getting to look at them and their names being said. Yeah. But, yeah, that's very fascinating. Wow. So cool. That's a honestly a pretty hot book tip. Yeah. I know Zoe didn't call it a hot book tip, but feels well, hot to me. Well, well. Leah wrote in and said, Hi, Brian Mallory. I am a librarian with the National Library Service. And although we're officially the National Library Service for the Blind and Print Disabled. Our program covers those who can't read books in standard print due to physical disabilities. Anyone who has difficult holding a book, difficulty holding a book for long periods of time or turning pages would qualify. 
Patrons have access to our audiobook app as well as our separate audiobook player, which is generally very accessible, features large tactile buttons, and for those with limited mobility, can include a remote control as well as a breath switch to use if the remote is necessary. Wow. That's very cool. Hope this helps glassers and glasser adjacent folks who might have found other audiobook options difficult to access. I know generally a lot of people have trouble with technology or aren't interested in making the switch to audio because they miss the feeling of holding books and reading them in a traditional way. But I work every day with patrons who were reluctant to try our service, but now say they don't know what they do without it. Wow, you're just really out there doing God's work. Wow. It's amazing. P.S. For those who might not recall, NLS resources are available in every state as well as U.S. citizens living abroad. You can call 888-657-7323 to get connected with the library that serves your area. And we'll put that number in the show notes. But again, it's 888-657-7323. And that just sounds amazing. There's all sorts of accessible ways. I had no idea. There's an audiobook app that has large tactile bus buttons and all this stuff for mobility. That's amazing. That's so fucking cool. Very cool. Thank you so much for writing in, Leah. That's amazing. Uh, I mean, National Library Service. Hooey. Um, all right. Uh, Ciara wrote in to say, Hi, Mallory and Bria. First of all, I got out of my worst book slump about eight years when Oof. I started listening to your podcast in 2019. You helped me discover audiobooks and convinced me that they count as reading. Hell yeah. And got me to feel like reading was fun again by picking up graphic novels, exploring genres that I love and genres that I was curious about, honing in on my wheelhouse and dumping everything I wasn't loving. I'm a farmer, so I go through seasonal reading slumps early spring and late summer especially. Hmm. Now that I've noticed these seasonal slumps, I can help myself get out of them by rereading old favorites, picking up something I'm really excited about, leaning on my favorite genres, and just generally being okay with going through a slump, trusting that I'll get out of it. Not shaming myself for not reading really helps make it easier to even try to read, which can be a huge block for me. Thanks again for helping me live my best reading life. A farmer glasser. Oh, farmer glasser. <laughs> also, this is this is the kind of email I Amazing. fucking live for. I get yeah, up in the really morning sweet. for emails like this. It is very sweet, and um, that's so great. I'm glad that it's here. I got to figure out ways to get out of this seasonal reading slump. Seasonal reading slump. We should do a show on that. That's a good idea. Seasonal reading. Because seasonal, you know, people have seasonal depression and seasonal, yeah, I think that that, that could definitely affect how your reading life is going. For sure. Uh, you want to read uh, Sierra's uh, wheelhouse? Yes. Uh, witches, girls and women training as warriors or fantasy heroes, magic schools, non-binary and bisexual characters, women con artists, you'll like today's book that we're talking about today, oh. historical romance, especially if it's gay or very steamy, found family, books that have a guided journal aspect to them, Ooh. food and agriculture, creativity, and dragons, of course. Hell you are yeah. a glasser after You all. are a glasser. <laughs> you are pronounced a glasser. <laughs> I take the slide whistle and I put it on their, <laughs> their shoulders like it's I'm knighting them. You can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com if you want a list of all the books we talk about on the show delivered to your inbox every month. You can sign up for our newsletter. There's a link in the show notes. And before we talk about how your bookshelf reflects your identity, we're going to take a quick break. Reading Glasses is sponsored in part this week by Green Chef. Y'all know we love Green Chef. Just so you know, Green Chef is now owned by HelloFresh, and you can choose from both. You can switch between them. We like them both, and our listeners can enjoy discounts with both. Look, do you want to bring new flavor to your table in the new year with Green Chef's wholesome elevated recipes? I bet you do. Y'all know about Green Chef, but... 
look, this is a great time to do it. You're getting busy. You're like, oh my gosh, I need to like figure out what I'm going to make for dinner. It's going to be easier if you don't have to figure that out. So you get to choose from weekly recipes with an option to mix and match meals from different dietary preferences in the same box without changing your plan, which is great because I know some of y'all, some days you're like, I'm going to eat keto. Some days you're going to eat vegan. Some days you're going to eat everything. So that makes it much easier for you. And you also check out Green Chef's 10-minute lunches. Each week's menu includes two convenient low-prep and nutritious lunch recipes ready in just 10 minutes, no cooking required, perfect for when you're on the go or press for time at the office or at home and you're just like, man, I just really want to get back to watching my show. I don't want to sit here and cook for a long time. You can eat well at lunchtime too with these 10-minute lunches. Green Chef is the only meal kit that is both carbon and plastic offset. So they offset 100% of their carbon footprint as well as 100% of the plastic in every box, which I know a lot of people care about, but y'all, this is important. Um, And it's great that they are doing it. You know that we really enjoyed Green Chef. I love knowing what is gonna be available for me to cook at night. I don't wanna think about it. I don't wanna be like, oh no, should I go to the store? Do I have to go and buy like a little bag of pepper or something just so I can have what I need. Green Chef comes with everything you need. You don't have to worry about it anymore. It's amazing. So go to greenchef.com slash glasses60 and use code glasses60 to get 60% off plus free shipping. That's greenchef.com slash glasses60 and code glasses60 to get 60% off plus free shipping. Did y'all hear that? 60%. That's more than half. Green Chef is basically... Green Chef is paying you to take this food. So go to greenchef.com slash glasses60 and get 60% off. Glasses60. Since the dawn of time, man has dreamed of bringing life back from the dead. From Orpheus and Eurydice to Frankenstein's monster, resurrection has long been merely the stuff of myth, fiction, and fairy tale. Until now. Actually, we still can't bring people back from the dead. That would be crazy. But the Dead Pilot Society podcast has found a way to resurrect great dead comedy pilots from Hollywood's finest writers. Every month, Dead Pilot Society brings you a reading of a comedy pilot that was sold and developed but never produced, performed by the funniest actors from film and television. How does Dead Pilot Society achieve this miracle? The answer can only be found at MaximumFun.org. This week, we're talking about how your bookshelf reflects your identity as both a reader and a person. What do you do when your reading tastes change? How often should you reassess and reorganize? Should you even care at all? Maybe you should just make a big pile of books and sleep on it like a dragon. (laughs) Today's episode was inspired by Bo, who wrote in to ask, Over the past year or so, my reading taste has changed drastically, and my bookshelf no longer reflects the type of reader I am. I have an extremely small space to work with, only one bookshelf in a cart, so I'm pretty picky about what I choose to buy and what I choose to borrow at the library. My question is this. When your reading tastes change this much, what should you do with your bookshelf? I have some mild anxiety about giving away books because my ADHD means I impulse buy slash donate a ton of books every now and then, and then I regret some of the stuff I gave away. Help. Any suggestions are appreciated. Bria. I love this question. Do you think of your bookshelf as a reflection of yourself? Your book self? (laughs) Amazing. Um, That's a good pun. 
Um, <laughs> I'm going to say sort of, I think. Look, I don't really buy books that often anymore because I am such a library user and yeah. I use a Kindle. So even if I'm buying books, they're going to be on, they're going to be digital. Yeah. Um, and they're going to be an ebook. So my bookshelf is a solid mix of me, me from college, the me other people think I am because they <laughs> gift me books, the books that we are given as arcs that I yes. do end up reading and keeping, uh, and my husband. Those are the, that's my, what my bookshelves <laughs> look like. Um, so I'm going to say, if you were looking for the last five books that I really identified with as a person or books that really changed me even in the last 10 years, you're not going to find those on that bookshelf. Like, they are probably not going to be on there. Because they're in your heart. They are they are deep in my heart. They may not even be deep in my Kindle at this point because <laughs> they're probably back at the library. They, they go magically from the Kindle digitally back to the library through the telephone lines. Yep. Is that how that a works? A series of tubes. Yeah. It's like, like at the bank. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so it's, I'm going to say it's not who I am currently, but it is an amalgamation of who I have been at one time and who people think I am uh, currently. I don't know. Does your book shelf do reflect your book self? <sighs> kind of. Yeah. I, honestly, I just love this question so much. It really hits on something that is both a joy and a hindrance to reading. It's like how closely the media we consume ties into our personal identities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, we really think, like, I watch this, so I am this type of person, yeah. you know? It can, or I'm this kind of person, so I should watch this. Or I should not watch. And I should enjoy it. Yes. Or not. Yeah. It can make us really happy to show off the stuff that we watch and we read and we listen to, but it can also make us hesitate to try or consume certain things because, like you said, you know, we don't want to be that kind of person or that kind of reader. Uh, you know, we see that a lot with romance um, mm. or horror. That mm. That is a really common one. You know, we want to be seen reading a certain kind of book so we can be perceived as a certain kind of person. Shout out to white guys at coffee shops in Los Angeles. Uh, <laughs> But that might not be what we're really like. And I honestly, I have the opposite situation to Bo. I have such a ridiculous amount of books. We have 12 full-size overflowing bookcases in the house. That I don't think anyone could get a reading based on my books. I would be so impressed. I think they could get a reading based on the amount of books. Yeah, they would be like the two things that you could get are this bitch reads a lot. Yeah. And maybe she likes weird spooky shit. But I do think it would be weird because people might come into our house and be like, oh, do you read very much? Because I don't have that many shelves of books. Upstairs you have that, like, book zone. Yeah, but it's not a ton. I mean, not compared to, like, not, I do not have 12 shelves. But you have, I think you have a lot more books than the average person. I'm not, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I just am saying that, like, yeah, I think that you can look, if you walk into somebody's house and they have 12 shelves of books, you're like, oh, you read. <laughs> be like, what? Oh, no. This is no, no, sorry. Those are display. <laughs> this is, this is aesthetic. Yeah. <laughs> um. Because the thing is, I don't have one particular shelf that's all my favorites. We have one, two, we have four that are horror, one that's middle grade and YA upstairs, and then then downstairs is all literary fiction, nonfiction, fantasy, sci-fi, mystery. You know, so it's not like I have my, my bangers all together. Mm. But uh, even with so many books, I do like weeding out books from authors I'm not into anymore or books that I've had for years and have to admit I'm never going to read. Um, like letting go of the readers that I wanted to be. Um so kind of, but not really. Um, but so what do we think Bo should do? Well, I think, okay, it's, this is a bigger question. First of all, Bo doesn't have much space. And so we need to keep yes. that in mind. But first, uh, you are not a collection of your things. No, I think that's important for Bo to remember, right? You may be a person who owns 50 cookbooks that you plan on making dishes from, but that does not make you a cook. Damn right it doesn't. <laughs> I'll tell you from experience. It just makes you someone who owns 50 cookbooks, which I is a thing. Yes, I and I will say I don't have 50, but I have a lot of cookbooks and 
have I how much food do I make? Yes. Not you're a lot. an aspiring person. I'm an aspiring eater. There I you am go. not there an aspiring go. cook. Um so while the books on your shelf may not reflect who you are now, like maybe you read a comic 20 years ago and you just can't seem to let it go, even though you haven't read it in a really long time, that would be me. So they may not reflect who you are at this moment. Just like me, where I feel like there's a lot of books I keep around because they meant something to me at one time, but I haven't read them in a really long yeah. time. So look, you got limited space. So let's start there. Yes. You need to get rid of the books that aren't goat, as the kids say. Yeah. Greatest of all time. Yes. Great. Um, we're hip and happening here yeah, on reading yeah, glasses. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Here's the reasons to keep some books. If you look at a book and you're like, I would lend this to someone because I can recommend it like wholeheartedly and I've read it and I love it, you should maybe keep it. Yeah. You know, like there's a good reason to keep it around. But if you don't recommend it wholeheartedly, if you didn't love that book, you have limited space and the world is full of great books and you could probably fill that space with books that you actually really do love and really yeah. do reflect who you are at this moment. And I love, by the way, that Bo is like, I get rid of a ton of books and then I regret it later. Well, you know what? You can always get those books from the library later if you really yes. regret it. So that is something great. If you've donated it, you can also probably get it for cheap on eBay or something because this is an older book now at this point. Yes. So you don't, you can probably go find that if you're like, oh no, I can't believe I got rid of To Kill a Mockingbird. You can find that. Yeah. It's going to be on eBay for two bucks, <laughs> maybe 50 cents. So I'm going to say, if you have this limited space, uh, which I think that that's the most important part of the email for me, is that, like, I do think you want it to maybe be books that you all, that you really like. That you know, bring you, you joy in, in yeah. the words of Marie Kondo. Yes. Who's apparently backtracked on the that. Do you know this whole thing? She had three kids and, like, I think that whole thing was, she's kind of backtracked a little bit. I didn't My read the whole article, by the way. just hit the floor. Um, but, so I'm going to say you need to look at those books and, like, would I lend this to someone? Can I say this is, like, a great book right now? I think, like, thinking about that will be helpful. But it's okay to keep those books from, a, you know, 10 years ago, you're like, I read this comic book. It kind of changed my life. Keep that one, too. Yeah. But if it's a book you're planning on reading in five years and you've had it for five years, you need to get rid of that book. Yeah. I'm going to say even if you've had it for three years, get rid of that book. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What about you? All right. So if I was Bo in this very particular situation, this is what I would do. I would keep the bookshelf, not the cart, the bookshelf, as I used to say, as my all-star shelf. Oh. I used to do this when I had um, a very small apartment. Um, it was actually just a room in Providence, Rhode Island. And I had one bookshelf next to my bed and it was my all-star shelf. It was all of my favorite authors, um, and, and books and whatever, you know, but the cart bow I think should be your TBR pile. Oh, great. So all the books I read that were not five-star bangers would get donated. Yeah. And Bo, if you have donation anxiety, this is what I do with clothes. Keep a box in your closet or under your bed that's like a holding tank if a book you're unsure about goes in there and you don't take it out for over a year, you should feel okay donating it. 100%. I do the same thing with clothes. I, I, I keep a pile, and once there is a clothing swap party that I'm invited to, I pull them all out, and I look at them, and I go, I don't need these clothes. Like, nope. it's there's rarely something in there that I'm like, ooh, that's where that went. Like, it's mostly clothes I've never... completely forgotten about. Same with books. Like, yep. if, you, if I give away a pile of books, it's very rare that I go like, oh, I should go get that book again. But... I'm obviously reading different. I'm not reading physical books very often. So, Yeah, I mean, this happened to me in 2021 when we moved to our new house. I was like, all right, all this, all these clothes that I loved before the pandemic, they either don't fit or they're just not what I want anymore. And it, like there was a few pieces that I would be like, oh, but I really liked this or this was really fun. And I would 
I put it in a bag in my closet for a year, and then a year later I did the same thing, and I was like, damn, I didn't think about this fucking thing once, mm-hmm. you know? You know, I think we're saying it's okay to change, and yeah. your books don't have to be your identity. And, yes. like, even if they were at one time, you were like, look, no one loves this author as much as me. And now you're sort of like, maybe someone does. That's okay. It's okay to, like, you can move on with your life, and hopefully— which I've said on the show many times, you do change. And hopefully you do grow. Hopefully yeah. you become a different person over time and you like different authors and different artists and the ones that resonated with you when you were 19. They're probably not going to resonate with you as much as when you're 40. Absolutely. Uh, so what do we think? How often do you and maybe how often should you reassess and reorganize your bookshelf or shelves? How often do I? Rarely. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I don't buy books very often. So rarely, I don't do a lot of cleaning and I just gave you some arcs that we're going to send to people. I will say, I almost bought you a book today and I was like, you know what I'm going to do instead? I'm going to buy Bria a bar of chocolate. There you go. That one, I opened it immediately and started eating it. Um, So I'm going to say I don't. How often should you? When it gets full. <laughs> if I like, and that is when I do it. When I start to look at it, I'm like, this is too full. I gotta clean this thing mm-hmm. out. Like, if a person would be like, you should do it every six months. I'm not doing that. What do we have all the time in the world to clean? I don't have the time to nope. clean. But like, if you look at it and you're like, okay, there's books on top of books. I got two layers of books. Ooh, that's that's a good indicator. When I've got like the double layer, the double layer. The, you know, when you do the ones on top, you know, and it's starting to look messy. Like the double, yeah. That's when you need to be like. Okay, assess these books. Some of these you're keeping because you want to be the person who read this book. And that's fine. Good for you. If it's something you're really proud of, keep that. But, like, you know, you can also donate the stand and go get it later if you need to get it. Yeah, you'll you'll find it. Um, Because, honestly, I move so often. This has not been an issue for me. For the past 16 years of my life, I have moved once, if not more, a year. Yeah, except for the past two years, right? Yeah, and the house that we've been in, uh, so we've been up in the mountains for almost two years, and it is the longest I've been in one place since I was fucking 15 years old or 16 yeah. years old. Um, so every year or so, I'm forced to pack up all my books, and that's a great time to reassess because then you have to move them. Um, but if you aren't cursed with constant moves like I am, I think it depends on how much you actually like organizing your bookshelves and how often you acquire new books. Maybe I'm a weirdo, but I actually like going through my books and weeding out the ones that I don't want, and most importantly, making space for new ones so I can buy more books. But I get a lot of books. I buy a lot of books. We get a lot of books. So it's kind of like a constant flow. Well, the last time we used to. Now a lot of arcs are Yeah, we're getting a lot of e-arcs, which I like. So I would say once a year seems like a good idea to me. And, you know, you can make a little day of it. But if you look at books and you have, like, a visceral reaction, you're like, that's really not who I am anymore, like... Mm -hmm. It just doesn't feel like me, especially if you have a small space. Either donate it, put it in a holding tank in like a little box or a bag somewhere that you can squirrel away and and get rid of it. Yeah. And and put it with something that sparks book joy <laughs> in your book self. But not sparks too much because books are flammable. Yeah. Let's <laughs> is Kindle. So you can send your thoughts to Reading Glasses Podcast at gmail.com. Before we talk to Rachel Kohler Croft about her new thriller, we're gonna take a quick break. Reading Glasses is sponsored in part this week by Trade Coffee. If you love drinking coffee every morning, who doesn't? Who doesn't want to start their day with a nice coffee? You have to check out Trade Coffee. Trade makes it effortless to brew better coffee at home. They empower coffee lovers to discover better coffee delivered fresh to their door. So Trade Coffee, it's a coffee subscription service. You have a subscription for a lot of things. You may have it for your food boxes. You may have it for your uh, vitamins, you may have it for your toilet paper, you may have it for magazines. I don't know what year you're living in. Maybe you're living in the 90s and you have a subscription to a magazine. I don't know. But trade is one for coffee. 
And that means they are making it easy and convenient to discover new coffees and make your best cup of coffee at home every day. Trade partners with the nation's top-rated independent roasters to send you the best quality coffee you can get, all hand-picked from their coffee experts. They'll send it fresh to your home and on your preferred schedule. You know what is not fun? Going to the store and trying to be like, oh, man, do I have coffee? Do I have what I need for tomorrow morning? Y'all have heard Mallory talk about this. She drinks Trade coffee every day because Trade will personalize the coffee for you. You can go through, you can say, I want decaf, or I want it from this specific region, or I want this specific type of roast. Trade has it for you. So upgrade your morning routine with better coffee. Right now, Trade is offering our viewers a free bag of coffee with any subscription at drinktrade.com slash glasses. That's drinktrade.com slash glasses for a free bag of coffee with any subscription purchase. drinktrade.com slash glasses. Glasses. Hello, dreamers. This is Evelyn Denton, CEO of the only world-class, fully immersive theme resort, Steeplechase. You know, I've been seeing more and more reports on the blogs that our beloved park simply isn't safe anymore. Mur murdered them? I'm gonna wreck it. They say they got mugged by brigands in the fantasy kingdom of Ephemera or hijacked by space pirates in Infinitum. I mean, I could have a knife. My papa said that I needed to do a crime. Friends, I'm here to reassure you that it's all part of the show. These criminals were really just overzealous staff trying to make things a little more magical for our guests. We're just as safe as we've always been. This isn't a county fair, dreamers. This is Steeplechase, the Adventure Zone. Every Thursday at MaximumFun.org. Here we are with Rachel Gullercroft. Rachel, how are you and what are you reading? I am doing great. Thanks for having me, Bria. Um, what am I reading? Oh, I just finished The Shards by Brett Easton Ellis, and I loved it. And then I started Pamela Anderson's memoir. So we oh all make multitudes. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so tell us about your new book, Stone Cold Fox, which yeah. by the time this comes out, it will be out. People can get it right now. Oh, happy to. Um, Stone Cold Fox is about B, a very ambitious woman, let's say, uh, the somewhat reformed daughter of a con artist who wants to hang up her devious hat for good by marrying into the 1% via an eligible, very rich, but very boring uh, bachelor Colin case. And B is a total bombshell, so she's not really worried about getting the ring from him, but she knows the challenge will be in gaining the approval of his 1% family and inner circle, namely his childhood best friend, Gail Wallace Lester, who will stop at nothing to keep B out of their luxurious blue-blooded fold. <laughs> um, I love that. That's a great description, but I felt B, I loved this book. I thought B was quite fucked up in, in the way that she's just a uh, I felt she had a little Patrick Bateman in her. Like, I felt like it was a little Anna Delvey, a little Patrick Bateman. Like, she was, you know, in almost in, like, psychopath territory. How do you go about writing someone like that, writing a, a, a just a straight-up con woman in many ways? Yeah, it's funny. You know, also a very, I take that as a compliment, those comparisons. Good, good. Fucked <laughs> up and complicated and all of those things. And I don't know, I just always gravitate to characters that some people might describe as villains or 
bitchy or kind of harsh. And I think I just am attracted to them because they take big swings and they always go for it. And for me, that's like really compelling to read about or watch. So with B, like I knew she was going to be polarizing to readers. So for her specifically, the thing I set out to do was to make sure she had this sparkling sense of humor. Because <laughs> I mm-hmm. think people love being around funny people, whether they're bitchy or not. I mean, you could look at Bravo's entire slate as proof positive. Of that. <laughs> so whether someone likes B, like I do or not, I felt like they would still want to hang out with her because she's entertaining. And just in terms of the plot and the situations I put her in, um, I just tried to run every scenario through the lens of her since I told the story in first person and made sure it made sense for her character or not and what she ultimately wants, which I I know she is technically a con woman, but like in this thing that she's doing with Colin, she just wants safety and security. It's not actually about the material things for her. I mean, I'm sure she enjoys the finer things like we all do, but because she had this really fucked up upbringing, what she's seeking is, you know, she doesn't have to worry about that anymore. So I suppose she's technically conning Colin with this forged identity that she's made for herself, but she's essentially choosing that life and no longer wants to con. So Anyway, I just think she doesn't identify as a con woman, just a woman who knows how to get what she wants by any means necessary. Because her whole arc, too, is like trying to prove to herself that she's not like her mother, which she is in many ways, too. But there are moments where she's like, well, what would my mom do? And I'm going to do the opposite. Yeah, I think you did a great job of writing a really compelling backstory for her. So we realize how she's become the woman that she is. And I think you're right. It ends up being about safety and it ends up being about her... um, you know, she 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 was taught that there's like one way to live life, and she's trying to figure out like how to like deal with that on top of you know what life really is and the way other people are living their life because her mother thought of life in a very specific way and thought the way to succeed was very specific. Yes, I agree with that. So, well, I'm going to skip since we're talking about women and women who are who are complicated. We'll call them complicated. Yeah. Listeners of the show have heard me plug torn hearts. A billion times, uh, which is how we know each other because you wrote it. So what was it like going from screenplay writer to novelist? Yeah, I mean, honestly, you just have a lot more real estate to tell your story in a novel, which was exciting to me, but also intimidating. Um, You know, and it's like I can go into what the characters are wearing, what they're listening to, what the room is like, and just also spend a lot of time especially for B, because it's told in first person, like her interior thoughts. Um, I can flash back at will and I can write period without worrying about if it's going to (laughs) sell. So there's just like a lot of things with a novel that can feel more freeing in a lot of ways in terms of telling the story. Um, You know, and just in a script, you have to be more concise and to the point and keep it really pacey. And I think being a screenwriter first made me a much better novelist because I have the understanding of story and keeping people entertained and on their toes. So I think they work really well together and they're just kind of different mediums. I love them both, but you know, a screenplay, you hope it turns into a movie, but it's like one piece of this much larger puzzle. And with a book, you know, a book is a book. And when you sell it, it's definitely going to be published barring something really bizarre happening and it's <laughs> on it. And I just kind of like the very sure thing of it all in publishing compared to screenwriting, but I love them both. And, you know, I hope to be able to adapt my books as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think you definitely should. Obviously, you'd be the, you're the person to do it. Um, so um, right now, there's quite a few books and movies about the, the 1% of the 1%, which is sort of the world we start living in in this book as B starts dating in that category. So do you think your book is sort of a part of this? I feel like a lot of the books are like taking them down in some way, and it's a lot of movies as well. And why do you think people are really obsessed 
with the uber rich right now <laughs> i mean as far as stone cold fox was i think it's in that wheelhouse um in some ways but I, just for me i wanted to make sure all the one percent characters were three-dimensional and not just these rich super villains because that's just not that interesting to me i mean colin for example I think is quite well-meaning um, and his sisters yeah. have their own quirks that I think make them likable in places too. I just, I just don't think everything is so cut and dry with people, even if they are super wealthy. I mean, just when you think about it, if someone's born into like the Johnson Johnson family or if you're a Kennedy or whatever, I just, I don't know how in touch they could possibly be. <laughs> Life circumstances compared to the population at large. And I don't know, this has been going on since the beginning of civilization. I mean, rich people are always going to be around. So I think the obsession with uber rich people, at least for me personally, I think is that I'm simultaneously repulsed and inspired by it. <laughs> I don't know, like I didn't grow up with any money. And when I started to make some of my own, I'd be lying if I said it didn't improve my life in pretty much every tangible way. So like I see the appeal of having a lot of money, of course, but there's also these moral questions to consider and, you know, being in touch with the greater realities of the world. So I think it's that push pull. And, um, you know, for B, I think she just, she, her character, she sees it as a means to an end being a woman in America. I think she's pretty repulsed by the rich. Um, but for her, she believes that, you know, it beats being on the other side of things. So she's kind of resigned to her fate in that way. So, and I don't really fault her for having that as a goal, considering her upbringing being what it was. And there's just a lot of room to think about other things if you're not thinking about how to pay your bills again, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, so question we like to ask everyone is what is your reader wheelhouse? Which is like anything that'll make you pick up a book when you see it. Yes, I love this question. I will read anything about cults. I'll read anything right. about the 70s, um, the setting of Los Angeles, um, dancers of all kinds, but especially those experiencing some emotional turmoil. <laughs> and I love um, sweeping like family sagas that make me cry at the end, like Shuggy Bane, I died at, um, Hamnet, anything like that, I, mm -hmm. I'm a sucker for too. <laughs> I can't wait to read your uh, cult 70s Los Angeles book. That sounds very exciting. I know. I'll have to put it on the list. <laughs> so um, I love that this came out on Valentine's Day. Um, do you want to tell people where they can find your book and where they can find you if they want more from you? Yes, of course. I'm mostly on Instagram, like the elder millennial that I am. Because <laughs> I hear that. <laughs> um, so my handle is Rach Kohler Croft. And then Stone Cold Fox is going to be available anywhere books are sold. I mean, I obviously recommend your local indie bookstore, but of course you can pick it up at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, even Target. Um, and I think, you know, it makes a great Valentine's gift for both someone you love or someone you hate. <laughs> <laughs> I like that recommendation. <laughs> Okay, amazing. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks, Bria. Thanks for having me. Now let's answer a recommendation request from one of our listeners. Greg writes in, Hello, Bria and Mallory. I just wanted to thank you for your recommendation of The Daughter of Dr. Moreau. I had seriously fallen off my reading habits in my later years, which felt like losing a part of my identity. I was hoping that listening to a reading podcast would help me over the hurdle, and I found yours. 
The Island of Dr. Moreau is probably among my top four favorite novels, and I really enjoyed seeing it reimagined from a female perspective. It gave me something familiar and unpredictable at the same time, and as a raging film geek, I liked seeing the references to the 1933 adaptation bundled in there. This experiment was so successful that I'd like to check out other reimaginings of classic novels from a new perspective, and I wonder if you had any recommendations in that realm. My wheelhouse includes intellectual protagonists, fight the power narratives, and world building. Oh, shit. <laughs> Y'all know we can read ahead, so Mallory doesn't know what I'm recommending, and then she looks at it. I thought Mallory would recommend this. Ask me what I'm going to recommend. What are you going to recommend? The Strange Case of the Alchemist's Daughter by Theodora Goss. I just thought, I assumed you would do this, but um, it, it's going to hit all these familiar, these, yeah. these, these familiar ideas. I feel so silly for not doing this. For Greg. Um, it's gonna It's got female versions of all of the greats, like a female Jekyll and Hyde, a female Frankenstein, a free, and it, it actually a female Morel even. Um, and it's all from the perspective of these characters and all young women and they're solving a mystery. But I think that this is like such a fun uh, book that is in kind of the same vein. I would say it is a little bit more YA than um, The Daughter of Dr. Moreau. Mallory, and it is a series too. It is a series. But um, Mallory's also thinking Cersei. Because oh. even though that's not like a specific, even if you aren't familiar, as familiar with Cersei as you are maybe with the Island of Dr. Moreau. But a lot um, of people are familiar with the Odyssey. Yes. It also has a ton of world building and has a lot of fight the power narratives. Yeah. So I think that could be great as well. But um, this one, I just felt like if you like those classic movies or, or those classic books, this one's going to check a lot of boxes. Mallory, what do you have? Uh, I went in a totally different direction. Okay. And I'm going to recommend Frankenstein and Baghdad by Ahmed Sadawi, uh, translated by Jonathan Wright. Um, I'm so mad at myself for not recommending the one you did, but uh, <laughs> this one is also really good. Uh, I think you would like this. So it's a retelling of Mary Shelling, Mary Shelling's. It's a retelling, Mary, Mary. Shelley. <laughs> Who's that lady? Miss Shelley, <clears throat> if you're nasty. <laughs> <laughs> Blew out the eardrum. <laughs> you know what? I bet Mary Shelley could get nasty. Good for her. Yeah, you know there's that rumor that she had sex on, like, her mother's grave, lost her virginity on her mother's grave. <laughs> Mallory's snapping to that. Get it, girl. Uh, but it's, so it's a retelling of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein that takes place in Iraq after the U.S. invasion, uh, and it tells the story of this man, and he's a junk dealer, and he's seeing all these scattered parts of bomb victims, and he decides to collect them. He wants to give them a proper burial and to be able to bury them properly. He starts stitching them together. The only problem is when he stitches them together, the body comes to life, and it is not very happy when it wakes up. It is seeking vengeance. Mm -hmm. uh, so you could probably guess it doesn't go super well, um, and it's just it, obviously a lot of chaos ensues and uh, it's because it's looking for vengeance for the parts of itself um and it's just such a smart book and i think it will tick a lot of boxes in that it's um you know this really classic story that's been you know adapted into film and uh but it's from a, a totally different perspective totally different time period totally different part of the world totally different culture um it's just awesome and uh, i think it won a lot of awards and stuff so i think uh would make uh greg happy so i'm recommending frankenstein and baghdad by ahmed sadawi translated by jonathan wright and I'm recommending The Strange Case of the Alchemist's Daughter by Theodora Goss. So if you want us to answer your recommendation request, you can send it to readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. As always, we want to thank the wonderful mods who run our Facebook page and Chrissy, who's holding down the fort over on our Goodreads page. If you use our Goodreads page, let us know. Um, remember, you can buy all kinds of fun stuff at the Reading Glasses Void Merch store. There's a link in the show notes for that. And doing so not only makes you look sexy and bookish, but it also supports... Our hungry, hungry cats and Bertha the dog. 
And if you like the show, you can rate and review us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. We really appreciate it. It helps us in our hearts, but also it helps the show. It uh, helps us reach more listeners and readers. You can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at readinggpodcast. On Instagram at readingglassespodcast. Thanks for listening and thanks, thanks for reading. reading.